Hey everyone, this is T-Roll, the host of the Campus Outreach Podcast. We're taking a break from our normal podcasts over the summer, and instead we'll be posting audio versions of various talks that were given at our beach project from earlier this summer. If you are interested in viewing the video form of the following message, please go to cobirmingham.org forward slash campus talks to find all of our talks from this year's beach project. Thanks so much and enjoy today's talk. I'm very humbled that I get to speak on this topic. I'm uh, humbled in the sense that like the, the fear of God is in me. And it's been a me and the topic of marriage last I don't know, 18 months. It's just been a it's been a, a real a real topic. There's been a lot of a lot of loss, a lot of sadness, a lot of pain. For whatever reason I've done like 12 premarital counselings, and so it's been like a theme of my year. Um, I haven't gotten married 12 times, but I've helped other couples in their marriage. So, um, thank you. Yeah. Welcome back, Bible. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I've just seen, I've probably seen my friends go through the most pain and suffering and the most gut-wrenching hurt I've ever seen any humans go through because marriage has been hard. Um, the role I'm in at the church, I've, I've had to see marriages just just so much sadness, so much pain, so much complexity. And I, I, really, I really want today to go well this morning, these next 30, 40 minutes. I really want the spirit to move. Uh, that, that first song, the, that's the... It's from number six. It's the Aaron's blessing. The just the desire for you guys to be blessed in your future, for the Lord's face to shine upon you. I really do think these next thirty minutes and the next day and just the next season of your life is so important for your future. And so, I'm I'm trusting the Lord to to use this time. And uh, as I was thinking, obviously there's a lot to teach on. I got thirty forty minutes to talk teach on marriage, dating, and sex, and so we'll see how it goes, but um, really the, the, the message from my heart, I feel like the Spirit put on it this morning, was obviously to, to go through the, the biblical teaching on these things, but it's even more of this. I've seen so many great people sit under the teaching of the verses I'm going to use, some of the analogies I'm going to use, some of the principles, but so many of them have still suffered in their dating life, their single life, and their married life. And so I've been heavy-hearted, like, why? Like, there's good teaching. This, the teaching that helped me and Leah, my wife, it worked for us. Why didn't it work for them? It worked for so many, but why didn't it work for them? And, and the Lord just put James 4, 6 on my heart. Guys, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And there is 0% chance your dating life and your married life will go well if you are proud. I want to challenge you first and foremost about your posture, not your physical posture. Some of you are like sitting up, making sure. Um, no, don't worry about it. Sit how you want, okay? Be comfortable. Lay down, do what you need to do. The posture of your heart. Guys, this topic of dating and marriage is maybe the number one cultural idol. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't do a, a survey. I think it's up there. Why? I don't know. 
But there is so much potential for you to say, I got to get married. There's so much potential for you to say, I'm tired of being single. There's so much potential for you to say, hey, I want to be the best husband. I want to be the best wife. I want to have the most beautiful family. Guys, there's pride around that stuff. I got to have this. I'm close-handed with this. God, give me this. Guys, God has given so many people marriage, and marriage has not satisfied their soul. I'm here to say one main message. The people that do well in dating and marriage are the people that want Jesus so bad, and they let him write the story. So what is the posture of your heart this morning? Is it, I mean, I can't wait. I'm going to get some dating tips. I'm going to... I'm going you know, to find that godly you know, girlfriend, boyfriend. I'm, I'm so sorry. I can give you some tips later, but we got to talk about the real stuff. And that's that God designed marriage, and, and it works when you do it his way. So that being said, we're going to read. We've got five passages. We're going to have Haley and Luke come up and read them. Uh, because it's a lot to cover, they're just going to read all the passages, and all the principles I'm going to give come from those passages. So you just got to trust me on that. So. As efficiently as you can, read these passages. Uh, actually, let's do this. My pastor makes us do this. I don't really like it personally, but it's really, it really sets the tone. Let's get our Bibles open and stand up and just, and just acknowledge that this, this truth is what we need for dating and marriage. Our first passage is Genesis 2, um, verses 18 through 25, and it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not, a, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, next passage, if you flip over to Ephesians 5, we are reading from verses 22 through 35, 33, 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
Okay, now we're going to flip over to Matthew. We're reading chapter 19, verses 4 through 9. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. All right. And then Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Screen the last one, I'll take First uh, Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs, remember that word, with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Thank you guys for reading. Um, the, uh, like I said, time's going to be an issue here, but... Uh, the, the point, guys, I wanted those passages to all be given to you. Write them down. Like, again, we're going to scratch the surface today. These are passages. And at your age, you're going to need to study deeply, develop your own convictions, and work through yourselves. Talk about it in discipleship groups. These passages are great, and uh, all that we're going to pull from them today is, is from them. So i got five things on marriage, five things on dating, and then we'll see if we'll get to some comments on sex. Uh, yeah. So, number one on marriage. Uh, from these passages, marriage is God's invention, okay? Marriage is God's idea. So, number one, God's invention, God's idea. Very simple statement, very obvious from the scripture, but very profound implications. Guys, we do not learn about marriage from God. We're not going to show hands, but most people have learned about marriage from somewhere else. I think everyone agrees with that. We allow ourselves to adopt just humanistic, worldly, fleshly, random ideas about marriage. And I didn't bring out the stats, I'm not going to bring out the stats, but we are in a, we're in a terrible place as a, as a nation, as a people. You know, it's like if, uh, if I'm a general manager of a baseball team and I'm saying, hey, you know, I got this guy, he's batting, you know, .80 or .080, he's batting under 100. The stats are bad. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get them. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sign them. I'm not gonna pay them anything, guys. The stats about marriage from the people you've learned about marriage from are really bad. They're 50 percent. My made-up stat. You don't have to believe it. It's probably not even true. Um, is half the marriages that are together are basically a functional, practical divorce. So half of them really a divorce. The other half basically have no depth or no substance. Okay. So that's where, if you live by default, you learn about marriage from. So the first and most clear and most in-your-face, you know, let's be honest with each other, guys. We've got to make sure we're getting the proper definition, even if we don't like it. A great analogy happened Monday after school. This is, this is my comparison to where I think we are with marriage as a culture. So I have a seven-year-old son. I have four kids. He's the youngest. He's basically everyone's favorite. AJ, for those of you who know him, great kid. Uh, very unwise kid, to say it nicely, right? He's just, he just hasn't got it yet. So we're, we're praying for him, hoping he picks up on some stuff. 
very lovable, just needs a lot of teaching. I'm doing my best. It's not sticking very well so far. But he wants to shoot. We have a basketball hoop in our driveway. He wants to shoot. The cars are in the way. I'm hitting baseballs with my other son in the yard. I say, hey, let me finish here, AJ, then I'll move the cars. Uh, Ten minutes later, I hear Leah saying, well, you know, what are you doing? You know, like that. Leah's my wife. Y'all know her. She likes to, she can be loud and aggressive. So... She's like, what's happening out here? Um, AJ got the keys. He was in the driver's seat with the keys in the ignition. So um, if you all know him, you're not that surprised. But uh, so I'm like, Leah, let me handle this. Like, I'll talk to him. Um, you know, and I'm trying to engage him. Hey, you know, AJ, what what you thinking here, man? You know, we're not ready for driving yet. Um, he's like, and he, he literally, this is an AJ quote, if you want to write an AJ Hawar quote in your paper. I'm kidding. You shouldn't. But uh, he said... Uh, I was like, you know how to drive? Like, are you really think? He's like, Dad, I know where the I know the I know what the pedals do. You know, that was I know what the pedals do. And uh, I was like, great, but you know, you know, you can't even drive alone until you're 16 and you're seven. And we talked through it. And he was like, yeah, I think he, I think he picked up on the wisdom there. Uh, we moved the car for him. But the picture is this: you guys know something, right? You know where the pedals are. You know, you know a little bit about marriage. But what I would say, most people, unless you've been discipled by the word of God and had godly mentors who have a healthy marriage, you're kind of where AJ is. And we've got, that's what I'm saying, humility, guys. Not a close-handed, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to find the, the, the woman or the man of my dreams, and I've got this. No, framing it up, we are where AJ is. We know a little bit, but the little bit that he knew could have killed a lot of people. Guys, I'm just speaking from my heart. I'm tired of watching my friends suffer. I got four people, four friends, who sat in these exact chairs. Five now, actually. Their marriages ended. They weren't humble enough. That's my, that's my assessment. So God's invention, let's get on God's page with this thing, guys, even if we don't like it, even if it's hard, even if it's not the cultural dreams that you wanted when you were a little girl or a little boy. Let's get on God's page. That's number one about marriage. Um, number two is marriage is a God-ordained covenant to enjoy. Marriage is a God-ordained covenant to enjoy. I'm just going to read this. It says, what God has joined together, that's from our passages, implies that marriage is not merely a human agreement, but a relationship in which God changes the status of a man and a woman from being single uh, to being married. Two people become one flesh. Y'all think about this. As, as prevalent as divorce is and separation and fighting, when you get married, it is a heavenly agreement that two become one, okay? From the moment they are married, they're unified in a mysterious way that belongs to no other human relationship. Having all the God-given rights and responsibilities of marriage that they did not have before. So why do I draw this point? That's pretty obvious as well. Two become one. Right? The reason why it's so important is to, is to continue to alarm you guys and say, look, this is not casual. But all the culture wants to say is it's just, it's just fun. It's fun. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's fun. Guys, I love my dating season. I love my marriage. It is fun. But it's, it's not handled properly. It's destructive. You guys know the analogy of a, a beautiful fire in a fireplace or fire pit is awesome. A raging forest fire destroying cities is not. 
So what I'm here to say is the scripture says there's a lot on the line. There is a mysterious heavenly covenant that you go into. This is the most intense thing that you could be a part of to me at your age, probably. It's the most serious agreement. It's lifelong, right? And I, and I add in there, it's not only a covenant. What is the definition of a covenant? We talk about this in our premarital counseling. A covenant is basically like a super promise. You know, promises mean nothing. Our word means nothing in this culture in some ways. But guys, keep this word covenant sacred. It's a sacred word. It's a promise that you cannot back down from. So, if you are going into that serious of a promise, you better do your homework. You better check your ROI, return on investment. Right? It's a silly way to say it. But, but what's your ROI here? I'm about to make a covenant. A mysterious heavenly covenant. That's a weird way to talk about marriage. But I want it, I want it to be weird because it's, it's too normal. It's like, yeah, I'm getting married. That's, that's weighty. Let it feel weighty again, guys. It's God's invention. It's God's covenant. It's a covenant with God, not just man. But it's also something that's, in, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the seriousness of it. The only reason it's so serious is because it's so fun and so great. It's so amazing. And so we're to enjoy it, but it's a, it's a covenant. Y'all following that? We're good? We're through two points. Joel's going to rebuke me if I'm going too long. Number three, marriage is for service and not for selfish gain. You see in Ephesians 5, it's pretty obvious. You've got to get off your own agenda and love. Men love, husbands love wives. Women respect their husbands. Wives respect their husbands. It is, it is a other-centered thing, guys. And just a little heads up. I'm going to make this point again. But selfish people, takers, you make terrible spouses. People that love to be served and taken care of, you're not positioning yourself to be a solid husband or wife. You know what's great about being a Christian moving towards marriage? If you understand Christianity... How in the world could Jesus serve us like this? And then we turn his gift and say, sweet, I get to be served now. It doesn't work that way. If God, you know, the, the, the very Jesus being the very nature of God would, would be willing to humble himself and become a human and die for people who rebelled against him, there's just no place in Christianity in general, forgive me mine. All right? And I love to use, someone used the, the phrase that sin is is parasitic. We were talking about that the other day. A parasite or a leech is someone who says, I'm going to jump on, I'm going to grab on, and I'm going to get from this person. And guys, that is the default mindset of marriage in the culture you were raised in. Agree or disagree? Show of hands. Who thinks that's true? Who thinks I'm right? Oh, well, I am right, okay. <laughs> kidding. Um, yes, there is... Um, there's just, it just doesn't work. It's kind of like AJ driving the car. It just wouldn't have worked out for him. In the same way, you know, se seven-year-olds can't drive uh, sweet Honda Odyssey minivans, and uh, selfish people, they, they really can't thrive in a good marriage. So again, we're talking about finding that spouse, finding that wife, finding that girl, finding that guy. What I'm talking about is finding humility, finding service. That's the best thing you can do to prepare to have the best marriage. Married people agree? All right. You better. Um, here, here's one twist. You know the first Peter 3 passage we read? Uh, 3-7. Maybe put up there if we don't have to. But um, 
It's the one about, it's the, the gross verse for, uh, for women, the weaker vessel, right? Guys, primarily that verse is just about physical. It's biological, okay? We're, but no one, everyone misses the, the coolest part of that verse because they talk about, wait, let's talk about gender roles here. They're saying I'm weak. You know, that verse says, um, the weaker vessel, since they are heirs, all right? So listen, when you marry, men, when you marry a, 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 a woman of God, you marry an heiress of Christ. And you're going to go to her to get, in your dating life, you're going to take from her? Come on. Let's not be that. That's an heiress. And the verse says, since they are heirs. Females, you want to get married so you can feel something for yourself? He's an heir of Christ. These aren't casual people to take from and be selfish with. These are glorious, weighty beings that Jesus stepped out of heaven to adopt into his family. We are heirs and heiresses, and we got to treat each other like that. That's, that's, what, that's what Christian, Christ-like, godly, lasting, fun, enjoyable, happy marriages are built on. All right? You can't be selfish with it. i got to keep moving forward. Number four, marriage is specific for male and female. This is the one. I'm going to walk a tightrope here, and a lot of people might be upset with me. I don't think you should because I think, I think it's safe to talk about it. But this is just such a blazing hot topic, right? And I want to be very careful. But guys, the Bible honors both male and female so much, okay? So in Genesis 2, you know, you know it's the whole, are men, are men and women different? There's some obvious ways people embrace. But in our culture today, they're trying to say, let's, let's make them the same. But we don't embrace that. We, we embrace that they're both incredible, and they're both unbelievable, and they both reflect the glory of God. But when you read the passages we read, you have to say, male and female are different. And we want to embrace that and enjoy that. Why would we embrace that and enjoy that? Let me see if I can give a couple reasons. Um, you know, Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 kind of talk about this authority, submission piece, which is, again, a blazing hot topic. Guys, let me try to disarm some of the, the ways the world has tried to ruin that. Um, Genesis 2, there's, cre there's order in creation, okay? No one ever said the first the first one's better or the first one's more dominant. The first one's it's all about them. It's just an order. It, the analogy is the same. You know, you have Demario up here. He's, he plays linebacker, right? That's kind of in the middle. You have the D line. You have the linebackers. You have the defensive backs. The linebackers, the captain of the defense. On the Saints, there's also an All Pro named Cam Jordan, who's as good or better than Demario. But the linebacker calls the plays. The linebacker does the the cool pregame video. Uh, speech, the, the video we watched when he gave the pregame speech. That's his job. It doesn't mean he's better than Cam. It doesn't mean he's better than Malcolm Jenkins in the back. Those guys are have more Pro Bowls probably. But it means that's his job. And so when God made Adam, it wasn't he's the guy, it's built around him, he's the leader. No, it just meant he gave him a certain role. And what was that role? He was the namer. We're going to expound on that. Adam was the namer in Genesis 2. And what is the namer? What's the role of the namer? Back then, when you give something a name, remember when Abram got converted? He got a new name. Remember when Paul got converted? He got, or Saul got converted? He got a new name. 
Adam's role, male, to be male is to say, I embrace the role as someone who goes out and manages creation, shapes it, names it, forms it, leads it, so that all humans on earth can flourish. We're going to get into this. Does that mean women don't do that? Absolutely not. Women still do that, by the way, okay? But that's kind of the, the, the supernatural strength that males are called to. That's their gifting. But what, what happened after he made Adam and he was, he was putting him to work? Girls, you're like this. He, he needed his help. <laughs> right? You can laugh. Uh -huh. Especially married, married ladies. Oh, yeah, I see that, man. I see that, my husband. Um, but yeah, so males needed something. It wasn't complete. Not just the guy wasn't complete, but all that God wanted to do in the world wasn't complete. So he gave, and again, this is, this, part of the problem is this word, helper. He made Eve, and he said, you are a helper. And it's a not a good word. I got this from a Tim Keller sermon. He's, he basically said, helper, the English word helper just doesn't do it justice. Guys, the helper, first of all, you read through the Psalms. What is God called? He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. You guys know the name of the Holy Spirit, who is God? I will send helper. So helper, we, girls, we, we've got to get a, a, a more glorious definition. Because culturally we think, oh, helper, I just stand there and wait until they need help. I'm kind of like, you know, daddy's little helper building the, building the uh, shed in the backyard. That's not it at all. Guys, a helper is basically has the supernatural powers that the, that the namer didn't. And you see how they, they go hand in hand? You see that, that male and female is so important to embrace? Here's one nuance with it. You take me and Leah, I always like to self-deprecate, make, make fun of myself on this. I have the person I always joke about, I'm an ENFP. Who's an ENFP in here, Myers-Briggs? Mostly girls, right? <laughs> so I know I got a couple of coworkers. We, we wear that badge proudly. I always joke. Yeah, I'm an ENFP along with all the other 20-something, you know, age girls that I work with, right? It's not exactly true, but, but an ENFP, I've got some of that helper skill, and I want to use it. I use it for the glory of God the best I can. Does that mean I'm soft or feminine? No, I'm also a namer, and I go name stuff, and I go claim stuff for Christ, and I try to do that. I'm not like, I do that all the time. I, I try, <laughs> just like you guys do. You try to do your best. But to embrace the namer and the helper role is incredible. And if you don't like that, that's going to be hard for you to fit in God's design for marriage. How, did, what is, how does that flesh out practically? There's a lot to talk about that, and we don't have enough time, do we, Joel? Oh, he gave me, is that a 10 minutes? I thought it was five. He gave me 10. I'm feeling okay. But, um, yeah, just a little bit more on gender. It's okay to embrace differences. And it's okay to embrace that if you're male and you have some, some helper skills, good. If you're, if you're a female and you have some namer skills, good. But if you guys are going to have a healthy marriage, let's embrace how to work those things together. My wife, she's not an ENFP. She's an ISTJ, the exact opposite. It's been hard. We've, had to, we've needed the gospel. But she's godly and she's humble, so we're fine. Okay? But she's got some skills that, you know, like we had this big fight about, I felt like a terrible husband because she was packing the car for a vacation. I'm like, I'm not even a man. I can't even pack the car. But she's so good at it. So I'm kind of good at it too now, so I do it. But just saying, uh, no, anyways, guys, there's so much to talk about with males and females.
Um, oh, this is really good. I gotta, I gotta go to this. A lady named Carol Gillikin, I think. She's not a Christian. She's a secular psychologist. She did some studies, and she, um, she, you know, studying males and females, she basically found, this is really cool, men define maturity by, by being independent. I can do it. If, if I'm going to be mature, I can go. I can go off on my own and, and survive. I, I can get it done. I can, I can keep a job. So, so maturity for males is um, moves towards independence. Okay, females define maturity as interdependence. I'm mature when I can get along with a group of girls. I can. I'm mature when I can find a husband and get along with a husband. To me, that's super profound because that is how God designed us. Men need to have maturity to go out. Be the neighbor. Women need to come alongside with a group. It's still a leadership position, by the way, but it's interdependent. The problem with this is, is what happened in Genesis 3. Sin corrupted both of those things. So males, what do you think you guys do? You guys. I do it too. We, when we let sin corrupt that glorious neighbor call, we go to domineering. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to take over. Submit. Submit to me. I'm the leader. Come on. It's not what it teaches. No. There's no domineering. Females, when you go to unhealth and lack of maturity and sin, the corruption of sin, you go to not interdependence, but dependence. I'm going to latch on. I need this relationship. Dependent. Unhealthy dependence. Interdependence is healthy. Latching on. Leeching. That's dependent and unhealthy. That's what sin, how sin corrupted. And I mean, I'd love to talk about this right now. I know y'all see it. You see men domineering and you see women um, being too dependent. So guys, we have to understand gender roles to move towards a biblical, uh, healthy marriage. And guys, every marriage is different. So there's nuances, there's different things. I asked Mary Beth to rebuke me if I said anything offensive to the female, so hopefully she won't. But that's gender roles. Number five, a marriage is missional. Two ways marriage is missional. One, your wife, you call her the bride. Christ calls the church the bride. It is a clear and direct picture. Your marriage, a godly marriage, is a clear and direct picture of what Christ loved for the churches. That's why divorce is so bad. Jesus would never divorce us, right? The second way your marriage is missional is that when, you, when you're looking for a spouse... You got to have common values. I want to. I want to accomplish this with my life. I want to work in this area. I want to have impact here. Leah and I. I work on the campus. She works more with children's ministry and orphan care. We don't do it exactly the same, but guys, our heart is the same. We want to lead people to Christ. We have the same kind of partnership in the kingdom, right? So marriage is missional. All right. So there's five things on marriage. Joe, how much time? We got like five minutes. Oh, man. Um. All right, five things on marriage. Number one, uh, you can write down 1 Corinthians 6.14. Only date people you can be yoked with. Only date people you can be yoked with. What is yoked with mean? It's, it's two ox that are plowing a field. If you've got an ox that's this high and an ox that's this high, you're unequally yoked. You won't have a good life. Your field won't be plowed well. Your impact won't be good. Guys, there's so many implications to that. 
But like, what are your values? How do you want to spend your time? Get good premarital counseling before you get married, guys, because there's so much to talk through about being equally yoked. Are you takers or are you givers? Marry a giver. Be both, both be givers. You'll be equally yoked, right? So I know it's simple. I know it's easy. But think about that, guys. Look, that's like basic wisdom, but that's like the wisdom about dating. Make sure they're, they're enough like you and you want to do the same things in life. Don't get caught up in the other stuff. Speaking of the other stuff, number two is have standards and don't rush. For some reason, we got this eternal covenant we're about to commit our lives to, but we're willing to be flippant with it. We're willing to be unthoughtful about it, and we're willing to rush into it. But you got to have standards. Have that good list. Lord Jesus, pray in the Spirit. Lord, give me what kind of guy, what kind of girl, who is going to be an equally yoked partner with me? Show them, show them to me. Bring them to me. Why be in a hurry? Well, our calendars, you know, and our parents would like to have it this time so they can pay for our honeymoon. Come on. Don't rush, right? Number three, this one takes a little explaining. Understand the active and passive dynamics of dating. Kind of long. Understand the active and passive dynamics of dating. You can write Matthew 6.33 next to that. This, is, this was my key verse in my dating season, guys. So is your dating life supposed to be active or passive? Like when you get kind of grow up spiritually, you see, oh, the word passive is like, don't say that, man. Like, I'm not passive. I'm going to be the passive guy. But here's the problem with that. I, I, trust me, I'm not saying be passive because we're going to talk about how to be active. But, Lord, let, uh, but guys, let the Lord write the story of your dating and marriage. Well, so what does that mean I should do? It means Matthew 6 and 33, you should be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the promise, all things will be added unto you, including the wife or the, or the husband you're supposed to have in that right time. So there is a passive component to dating. I'm so afraid that I just said that to this group. You're going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to talk to you about this. I'm not saying that, Okay. There's also an active side. There is part of building a kingdom is relating in fellowship with the opposite gender. You need to be intentional about having great, deep, real, substantial friendships with the opposite sex. When I was sitting in D.C., someone said something I still remember. They said marriage is like 95% of friendship. 5% is a lot of other stuff, but really... It's true. Leah and I, we just, we just live life together as friends, and, and we enjoy it. So it's, it's great to, to actively pursue godly men, godly women in the context of friendship and see what the Lord does. Literally, for me, he, it wasn't like a revelation, like I saw Leah like shining like an angel, and I married her that next day. But literally, he made me think about her all the time, and she was dating another guy. It was weird. I mean, I did obviously won. I won the battle of that. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't much of competition, just saying, but it was like. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta stop. I don't have time for jokes. I love jokes, though. All right, so I was walking with God, not perfectly, but I, in my heart, got really humble during that season. I was like, I'm afraid to mess up another young girl's life, another heiress's life. I had hurt a couple girls, man. I was broken by it. 
And it humbled me. I was like, I'm just going to walk with God. I'm not ready. But then when, it, when the Lord told me I was ready, and look, you know, I mean, he literally, I said, Lord, if you, if you want me to date Leah, and he doesn't do this for everybody, but if you want me to date Leah, she would not have, she would have to be out of that relationship. And the next day I found out that she had ended it because she didn't feel like he was ready to lead her. And the Lord did that. And so there's a, there's a way that if you get really serious about the Lord, he'll work it out. But guys, that's scary because it may, it may take longer than you want. And that's hard. But God is so trustworthy. He's so good. And the only other option besides that is carving your own path, which will probably lead to destruction. So there's an activeness and there's a passiveness in Matthew 6.33. Um, number four, substance over status. Look for substance over status. The reason I was attracted to Leah because I saw her serving other women. I saw her spending extra time in the Word. And it was, I saw the substance. Guys, don't be shallow. Look, I mean, I can make, I can do, I'll make fun of myself a lot right here. I was a college baseball player. I was a little more fit back then. I did not have a full gray beard, okay? Things change. Find the person that's got that depth with the Lord and got depth with other people. That stuff lasts. That's substantial. It's substance. Status, again, it's fine if, if, if your spouse ends up being the, you know, the, the perfect physical, you know, body and face and everything that you want. And that's fine. That's a good thing. God made beauty. We should enjoy it and go for it and enjoy uh, physical, attract, you know, attractive things. But there's a balance. Is there substance behind just the status? Oh, they're in this fraternity, this sorority. I've always wanted to date a fraternity guy or, you know, whatever. Like, don't be that. Date a godly guy. Date a godly girl. Substance over status. Number five. For your dating life, learn to be a giver and a servant. Um, the, the best spouses are servants, are the best servants. Well, you know, I do a lot of evangelism, and you know, I lead this Bible study, and I, you know, I lead so many people to Christ. Cool. Did you pick up the trash? Ooh. You know, it's not a serious guy, all right? You know, did you take care of somebody who had, had a, a need? You know, this is going to take one for me. Um, what's your service like? Because when you get married, you know what you got? You got to get up early. You got to take care of kids. You got to do dishes. <laughs> yeah, no. Be, but, but what kind of servant are you? You may be a ministry hero, but do you care for other people and serve well? I put here that um, good roommates, people that are, you know, right now on scale of 1 to 10, am I a good roommate or not? Zero. You know, eights, nines, tens, they're probably going to be pretty good spouses because they're servants. Selfish roommates, you're going to struggle in your marriage. So, guys, learn to be that servant right now. Um, Joel, I'm out of time or what? Keep going. Still going. All right, so uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is like the, if you're married in here, who read 1 Corinthians 13 at your marriage? Really? I guess it's not cool anymore. I'm old. I see that hand, Clark. Um, so 1 Corinthians 13 is that love passage. You're like, you know, oh, love, love, love. Uh, go do a self-evaluation on 1 Corinthians 13 to decide if you're ready to be, you know, this dating person, this married person. Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you envious? How often are you boasting? What, what does pride look like? Look like? How are you rude? Your roommates? That's why Beach Party is so great. How, how kind are you in there? All those bunk beds. And I guess y'all got bunk beds in your room? 
Do you insist on your own way? Do you insist on your own way? Because you're going to struggle in your marriage if you do. Work these things out now. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. I love that verse for dating, guys. That was my, that was my staple verse, man. It's Matthew 6.33. I hope it becomes one of y'all. So y'all got those five things? We need to review any of them? All right, we got five things on marriage. I hope they're helpful. We got five things on dating and, uh, and sex. I mean, I got four bullet points on sex. I don't even know. This was like, I don't think I'm going to get to this. Plus, it's like, you know, it's awkward to talk about sex, so maybe I can skip it, but here we are. <laughs> um, no, sex is like, there's this, like, shame associated with sex, and that's, that's, that's awful. That's, that's not good, because sex was invented by God. That's number one. Sex is also God's invention. It's to enjoy in his parameters. Sex should be a normal part of sexuality and sex should be a normal part of your Christian discipleship, understanding it. I got some funny stories because I'm walking with my boys to teach them about it, and it's hilarious. Um, they laugh, you know, the body parts and stuff, they laugh at it. But, but what, what is your view of sex? Is it like, oh, is it like this thing? You, you probably learn, like, this, you probably learn about sex from pornography. Or a female, you know, I know there's a, I know females struggle with pornography as well. But, but most of the females that I've, through, through my wife, have, have you know, it's, it's not the direct pornography, but it's this, this form of romance that functions in the same way. It's a false version of sex and romance. Let's make sure we have a biblical view of sex because God invented it. Number two on sex. Uh, sex is more broken in our culture, uh, even in marriage. Uh, it's the point I just made, guys. Do not learn about sex from the world. And guys, I know that there's so much shame and so much I've already messed up. And guys, hear this. Y'all put your eyes on me real quick. The Lord is enough to heal you from your past sexual failures. And maybe it wasn't even your failure. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was wrongdoing. I've seen it, I've seen it over and over again. Opening up those wounds, opening up those, those flat-out failures and sins to the Lord and saying, I need healing. I'm going to stop hiding those from you, Lord. And I'm just going to name them and say... Meet me here. Maybe you talk to a, a, a wise, you make sure it's a safe, wise, biblical, you know, friend. And you open those things up. But, but Satan loves keeping all those things in the dark so he can make you feel weird and shameful and bad. But guys, Jesus is very sufficient in that area. So sex is good. Sin corrupts it. But Jesus heals it. So don't be ashamed. Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus' people. So number four, it's hilarious. I'm literally making the points that I'm about to make. Number four is God can meet you and provide grace from any past hurt, mistakes, or abuse centered around sex. So God can meet you and provide grace from any past hurt, mistakes, or abuse centered around sex. I already made this point as well. Number four, evil wants to bring shame to you around your sexuality in general and in specifics. Evil wants to bring shame around your sexuality in general and in specific. So again, open these things up to Jesus who loves you and your father. You're an heir and an heiress. He'll take care of you. But they can't stay in the dark, right? Um, last thing, just on sex. Sexual purity. Um, sexual sin. You know, 
It's the hardest one to fight. At least it is for most of the guys in my discipleship group and myself. It's the hardest sin to fight, and it brings the most shame. It's not coincidental. That's for a reason. Please, invite people in your life. It's not a fight that you can go through on your own. So, DeMario said it to the minicamp. Sex and marriage, it's truly the most glorious, beautiful, intimate, God-honoring, worshipful thing. It's, it's incredible. And the Lord wants that for you, even if you've messed up in the past. So let's, let's get more biblical in our view of sex and our openness about it, okay? Um, I'm sure we're out of time at this point. Five comments on marriage, five comments on dating, three, uh, four comments on sex. We need to do like a, like a pondering time now. Did you have special questions? Okay. I was going to say, if there's not, you guys just get quiet, look back over your notes, ask the Holy Spirit to draw out one or two things. Um, say, Lord, what do you want to show me? Marriage, dating, sex. What, what's, what's the most important thing that, that I heard? What passage stood out? What do I need to deal with right now? Do it? All right. Reflection time. Go. Go.